A place for confession. That's the topic today on Him We Proclaim with John Fonville. And thanks so much for joining us for some gospel-centered good news. If you're just joining in, we're in a series about historic Christian worship called The Gift Giver and His Gathered Guests. God being the gift giver and believers being the gathered guests. All have sinned, right? And how we respond to hearing God's word is everything. Do we turn away or get on our knees and confess? Let's talk more about this response. Here's John with the message called A Place for Confession, Part 4. John says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Being made aware of and confessing your sin is a gift by the Holy Spirit, the gift giver, who leads you to the cleansing blood death of Jesus for your sin. The gift that the gift giver gives to those who are truly in fellowship with him by grace alone, through faith alone, John says, is the cleansing from all sin by means of the death of Jesus on the cross. That's what that phrase, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus is a reference to the atoning bloody death of Jesus on the cross. It's through his death on the cross that the Christian who is walking with God in fellowship with God is continually being cleansed by the death of Jesus. That's good news. That's absolution. What is absolution? Absolution is simply an announcement that you, a penitent believer who is confessing sin, are forgiven by God for Christ's sake alone. All defilement, all impurity that prevents fellowship with God is removed by Christ's death on the cross, John says. That's good news. That is absolution. This promise of cleansing of all sin echoes the same promise that the Lord made to the Israelites when they were driven into Babylonian captivity. He says to those who are in Babylonian captivity, I will cleanse them from all of their guilt of their sin against me. And I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and all their rebellion against me. Jeremiah 33, 8. The cleansing of sin in verse 7 is just virtually synonymous with the next promise in verse 9. The promise of the forgiveness of sins. Look what John says in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, it's very possible that John has here in 1 John verse 9, public confession of sin. He's not probably talking about private confession. He's talking about the church gathered in assembly with corporate public confession. And so to be sure, our confession, John is not saying, our confession does not make our faith true. Confession of sin is a necessary fruit of true faith. That's what John's teaching. John's not saying confession of sin puts us in fellowship with God. This is not a conditional sentence of an if-then proposal from God. If we confess our sins, do our part, then God, as a reward for our good work and merit, will do his part and forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not how you read this verse. That's not what John's saying. Verse 9 is an indicative statement of fact. It is a promise of assurance to believers who are walking in the light, who are walking in fellowship with God. 
John is simply saying that those who confess their sins do so because they are walking in fellowship with God. And he sets forth a twofold fruit that comes from those who are in fellowship with God. As we confess our sins, agree with God, in fellowship with God, John says we receive forgiveness, and then we receive cleansing, this internal renewal and reform. And so John says God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now look at this. John has just told us in chapter 1, verse 5, what God is like and who he is. He said God is light, God is holy. Well, look what John just said here in terms of a a Christian who's sinning. God is not only holy, but God is faithful. He is faithful. The gift giver's gifts of forgiveness and cleansing of our sins are based on his faithfulness. You can count on it. You can take it to the bank. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God in his faithfulness has promised to forgive the sin of all who confess themselves to be sinners. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34, where the prophet is predicting the new covenant that Jesus fulfills for us. The Lord's speaking to the prophet Jeremiah, and he says this, I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And so clearly John is telling us that if God has spoken such promises, but then refused to forgive sin, he would be unfaithful, not faithful, right? He's made these great promises, and he keeps them. He is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. God is not only light, holy, but he is faithful to his promises. He is faithful. And you might ask, well, well, how can he do this? How can he forgive sin? Well, look what John says. In addition to being faithful, John tells us that God is just. God's forgiveness and cleansing of our sin is not only based on the fact of his faithful character, but it's based on his righteous character. John says God is acting righteously, justly, when he forgives and cleanses us from our sin. And then again, somebody might be asking, well, how can God be acting righteously when he forgives the guilty? Because I'm guilty. How can he do that? How can he acquit me? How can he forgive me? Well, John gives us the answer. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, and we do, we're guilty. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. God is just rather than unjust to forgive us who are guilty and who have sinned because Jesus Christ, John says, is the righteous. He is righteous, and having no sin of his own, John says, he has exhausted God's justice and wrath against us. He is the propitiation for our sins. He has died for us on the cross and satisfied the justice of God on our behalf. And so he is the propitiation. He has fully satisfied the law against us. He has completely exhausted God's wrath against us forever by drinking the cup of wrath in our place as he cried out in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is the second Eden 
the reversal of the curse from the Garden of Eden. So Gethsemane is the second Eden. And he prays as an obedient man on our behalf. My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And that cup was the cup of wrath. And so that Jesus on the cross drank the cup of wrath so that you and I in just a moment in holy communion can drink the cup of grace and salvation. That's called absolution. The apostle John describes Jesus as our advocate. He says if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the just one. And so this is a legal term drawn from the Roman court. And as we said in the liturgy, this is the turning point in the story from judgment to grace. This is where the turning point in the court trial goes from being declared guilty to where the judge comes down and he acquits the criminal and pronounces him righteous. And Jesus does this because he is our legal advocate. He appears in the court of heaven on our behalf. And he pleads for us and intercedes as our mediator, as our surety, as our guarantor. And so the good news for penitent believers who confess their sins is that we have an eternal advocate in heaven before the Father who is righteous, ever pleading our case, not guilty, but covered and righteous. This is absolution, John says. This is the gospel for penitent, sinning Christians. And so John tells us that those who walk in fellowship with God, who is light, who is holy, possess a true knowledge of the word of God. Because twice in verses 8 and 10, John says the truth is not in them. The word of God is not in them. Why? Because if you have God's word in you by the Holy Spirit, it is convicting you and revealing to you your sin. Correct? And the word of the Lord, through the word of the Lord, penitent believers learn not only to recognize their sin, but through the indwelling word of the Lord, penitent believers are taught to flee to God who is faithful and just, to Jesus Christ the righteous who is their advocate, and lean upon Christ alone who is the propitiation for their sins. That is called absolution, and that's what John teaches us here. What does the liturgy teach us through absolution? Here's the first. The absolution in the liturgy teaches us a clear distinction between the law and the gospel. The public reading of God's law confronts us with bad news. The public announcement of the gospel assures us of good news, which is made clear in the absolution. Each week, the liturgy teaches and underscores the, most, the chief and most expressive mark of the true church. The liturgy through the law and the absolution, the confession and the absolution, teaches us the sum and substance of sacred scriptures, which is law and gospel. In the liturgy, we learn from the reading of the law and confession of sin to be truly humbled for our sin. We learn to groan under the burden of our sin. But in the liturgy, God doesn't leave us there. We also learn from the liturgy and the absolution that we can flee to the mercy of God and submit in nothing else but his fatherly favor because of Jesus Christ the righteous who is the propitiation for our sins. 
The second thing that we learn about the absolution and the liturgy is the absolution teaches us that Christ has given the keys of the kingdom to his church. What are the keys of the kingdom? The keys of the kingdom are the preaching of the gospel and church discipline. And with these two keys in the church, the kingdom of heaven is open to believers and it is closed to unbelievers. And as Jesus commissions his pastors in the office of pastor, minister, to carry out the office of the keys publicly in his name and on behalf of the gathered congregation, the kingdom of heaven is either opened or closed. We have in John chapter 20, verses 21 through 23, what Bible teachers call the Johannine Great Commission. And just prior to his ascension, Jesus commissions his disciples, and he says to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, to be sure, Jesus is not saying the pastor in the church is the one who forgives sins. (laughs) I don't forgive anybody's sins, so don't look to me. I'm not your mediator. (laughs) That's not what Jesus is saying in this commission. We're not forgiven on the basis of the pastor's merits, which he has none except Jesus's. Thank goodness. And you're not forgiven on the basis of your merits because you don't have any either, right? (laughs) The pastor is not your mediator. The church is not your mediator. We have not been interposed between you and God who is light, God who is holy. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5. So what is Jesus saying? He's commissioning his church in the office of pastors to go forth in the commission to declare that it is God who forgives sins solely on the basis of Christ's merits alone. And when you hear the pastor's voice, Paul says in Romans 10, when the gospel is proclaimed, you hear not just the pastor's voice, but he says you hear the word of Christ, Christ speaking himself through the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit being applied to the hearer. And so the absolution by the minister is simply the declaration that all who sincerely repent and with true faith turn to Christ alone for salvation, they are forgiven by God for Christ's sake alone. And they're comforted and assured. And so having been entrusted with the keys of the kingdom, the minister simply declares to the congregation the gospel, which is this. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, listen to this declaration. If any of you this morning sin, right, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. Take heart, you're forgiven and covered. And then the third thing that the absolution teaches us is this, is that confession always leads to forgiveness, Confession of sin always leads to forgiveness. Could you imagine if you came to church every week and after you heard the public law read, 
uh, you heard the law read publicly, and then you got on your knees and you confessed your sin, you were just left to stay there. Goodbye, everybody. Have a good week. We'll see you next week. Come back to be cursed again. (laughs) And sadly, that's what many people hear week after week in churches, because the law is never proclaimed, and they just get tips and principles and laws and laws and laws and laws. And they're left cursed every week. Each Lord's Day, the liturgy retells a story that moves from judgment, conflict, and confession to grace, resolution, and absolution. And if you took English class, this is not a tragic resolution where the person is worse off than when the story began, right? This is what, as I said at the beginning, J.R. Tolkien uh, coined a eucatastrophe. It is a story where the plot that appears to unravel into utter hopelessness for the characters suddenly turns out for their good in the end. The story of the liturgy with the absolution retells week after week a eucatastrophe. It tells us week after week that we're reminded through the law that we, like Adam, we have broken God's law in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone, sins of commission and sins of omission. We are guilty. But surprisingly, it teaches us that the offended Lord of the covenant comes to us in our utter hopelessness And in all our guilt, and he announces a promise of forgiveness and salvation rather than judgment and condemnation. We don't expect God to meet, we don't expect God who is light, holy, to meet us in our sin and rebellion and guilt with that kind of forgiveness, do we? He's exceedingly gracious and kind. And he meets our rebellion and our sin with his blessings and gifts of forgiveness and pardon and grace. And he does so because the Apostle John tells us that God is not only light, that he's not only faithful, that he's not only just, but in John, 1 John 4, he says he does it because, listen, God is love. John says, God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest. How do we see God's love manifest among us? That God the Father sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to fully exhaust all of God's just wrath against us forever. That is love, and that is God. And so our triune God has already met us in the liturgy unexpectedly, right, with his greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And you might be scratching your head, really? He's welcoming me this morning with grace and peace? You don't know what I did this week. Grace and peace to you. And then in the liturgy, he's welcoming us, and he's declaring over us again in the absolution, grace and peace. Your sin is forgiven. God, without any merit of our own, out of mere grace, imputes to us the perfect righteousness, satisfaction, and holiness of Christ so that it is just as if I have never sinned and just as if I have always kept his law perfectly forever. He greets us with this announcement. So we need to learn to preach the gospel to ourselves every day, we're told. We do. 
But let me give you a little insight on that little piece of advice. The reality is we don't preach the gospel to ourselves very well, do we? And because of that, in Romans chapter 10, remember Christ has entrusted the keys of the kingdom to the church? In Romans chapter 10, Paul tells us that we need someone who's been equipped by the Holy Spirit and sent by the church to preach the gospel for us and to us regularly. And Paul describes the person like this, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Why do we come to church? Because Jesus is present with his gifts of forgiveness and grace because he's given the church the keys and I want to be where he unlocks grace and gives it. You see, we're constantly in battle with our flesh and we daily face fresh cases of disobedience, don't we? And so it is a great help for us to hear the words of grace, of absolution, forgiveness, and pardon declared to us from someone who's outside of us. And the absolution, we're reminded over and over that by God's gracious generosity, mediated by Christ's merit, given to us through the sanctification of the Spirit, all of my sins, past, present, and future, are pardoned, and I have been received into his fatherly favor. I need to hear that declared over me every week. And the absolution is in the entire liturgy, we're lifted away from the tangle of our own private efforts to believe and grasp the truth of the gospel. We find ourselves in the realm and worship where we are declared to be true, the, the truths of the gospel are declared to be true, no matter how I feel when I show up, no matter how bad my week has been in the past week, no matter how despondent my feelings might be presently, the liturgy protects me and declares to me all is well. And so we hear the comforting truth of the gospel in the absolution. What is it? The glory of God is to love the unworthy. That's what you hear in the absolution. The glory of God is to love the unworthy. How many of you need to hear that every week of your life? How many of you think that will shape and form you powerfully in living the Christian life? Listen to the glory of God loving the unworthy. What does it sound like? Listen as we close. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, so far, so far has he removed them from us. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. To those who are mourning and humbled for their sin, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says to you, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. To the sin-weary Christian, the Apostle Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And to the believer who sins, listen to these words of comfort and hope. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words of absolution and comfort and grace. Thank you for these words of forgiveness. Thank you that we can come to your service week after week and receive your divine service to us. Thank you that we can come to your table now and receive your means of grace, your sacrament, this visible gospel. Give us faith to receive your service, we pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks, John. That's a message called A Place for Confession, Part 4. More from the Gift Giver series coming up next time. The heart of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. With each message, our prayer is you would hear, believe, and enjoy the gospel in your life. If you want to re-listen to or share any of these messages, you can find our smartphone app or locate our podcast by searching for Dr. John Fonville or Him We Proclaim. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to learn more about his local church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can visit ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.